G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. I made the phone call. Um, it was Sunday morning their time, so they had just finished their service, so they were still at church. So she comes to the phone and she knew something was wrong because I never called her. She knew something was not right. And I just said to her, Mum, I've got to tell you something. I'm going to tell it to you and then I'm going to hang up and then we can talk again later. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have part two of our conversation with Nardlini Tranquim, author of the book The Orange Hue. Last time we heard how Nardlini had gone to London to fulfil her childhood dream of becoming a concert pianist. However, a few months after she arrived, she received the unexpected news that she was pregnant. Suddenly, her promising future was in doubt and she was faced with many big decisions. Now, here's more of Nalini's conversation with Eric Scadabo and author Samantha Jekyll in our Melbourne studios. Welcome back to the program, Nalini Tranquil. Thank you very much. Glad to have you with us. And as we heard last time, Samantha, you and your husband, Peter, were having a second honeymoon, a romantic honeymoon in Venice. Yeah. And you met somebody at a monastery and you gave that person your book. That's right. And that started this incredible friendship that I have now with Nalini. And um, I was able to be part of seeing her publish her book, The Orange Hue. And as we heard last time, wow, what a story you have. Let me see if I can get this down. Your father is Indian and he was born and raised a Hindu. And he met your mother, who is British and white. That's right. And they met in Africa. Mm Mm-hmm. And eventually you were born That's right. in India, yep. and then they moved back to Africa. So that was the home that you were born and raised in. And we also found out that when you were young, that your parents became Christians. Yes, that's correct. And your father went on to become a pastor, and you became a Christian at a young age also. And also in your heart was this burning desire to be a concert pianist. Yeah. And everything was going right to plan. At 16 years old, you were a trained concert pianist. You were certified. You went to London to make the big time. That's right. But four months into your time in England, you found out that you were pregnant. That's right. And that's where we ended it last time. And of course, this raises all kinds of questions. You had this dream, but now is a pregnancy going to shatter those dreams what's going to happen and of course there's the whole issue of you have a father who's a pastor you had a desire to bring glory to the lord in your profession as a concert pianist you had all these desires but as we found out you're pregnant yeah that's right and can i just take that back a little bit from there and that is you know i as a woman we have lots of questions. You hear about these people that don't know they're pregnant and suddenly they're giving birth in a toilet or, you know, you're seven yeah. months pregnant, but you have no idea no. that you're pregnant. Can you explain that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't just pregnant. I was seven months. Yeah, seven yeah. months pregnant, right? Um, I've always been really little, like really petite. So only five foot one in height and, 
usually around the 50 kg weight, um, and that had not altered. That was the same. And, the and you know, just being small, I guess, this was just feedback that we got from the doctor, was, you know, that probably was um, a factor at play as to why I wasn't very regular with my periods. Okay. And so the move to England and then sitting down with this doctor in our initial consultation, he just brushed that off and said, oh, don't worry about that. Your body's probably just stressed from the move. This is the first time you've lived away from your family. You're really young. Um, you know, the food is different. So don't stress about it. We'll do the bloods. We'll do the scan. I'm sure everything is fine. So there wasn't any kind of morning sickness that you had? No. The only reason why I went to him in the first place was because there were certain, like, acidic-type foods. But, you know, yeah. like raw tomatoes, if ever I ate that, I would get this burning sensation in my chest. Mm. And that was the only thing. Now I'm thinking, okay, maybe that was heartburn. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so there you were. All by yourself in London. But also your boyfriend happened to be in London at the time. That's right. He had visited for Christmas. And so... So the two of you needed to have a conversation. Oh, yeah, we did. Um, so I'm leaving the clinic that night and my head is just in turmoil. I just could not piece this together. I just... I felt so much shame. I felt mm. so guilty for this. You know, that finally my actions as a teenager now were coming to the surface. You mentioned last time that you kind of were living a double life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Leading worship on a Sunday, helping run the youth group on a Friday, mm. in the clubs, Saturday, messing around, you know, behind corridors and what mm. have you. You mentioned last time that even though you had made some bad decisions earlier, but now you were full on for the Lord, you were going to do things right in your relationship and yeah. wait till get, getting married. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, even on the plane moving to London, I remember having this conversation with God, I'm going to do things right now. I have this dream in my heart. I know that you want to use me for something. And so I'm going to do things right now. And it almost felt like because I'm going to be away from my boyfriend and from my surrounds, that it was actually like a break. It was like a, a line mm. in the sand, you know? Yeah. And things were going to be different from yeah, this point forward. from this point forward, except my actions caught up. Yeah. Mm. And then back in that doctor's surgery, you had that feeling I could abort. So I'm I'm guessing that as a Christian, you're now carrying the fact that how oh. could you even have that thought? Absolutely. Like I I remember when the thought first hit my head when I was facing the mirror, I was disgusted with myself that I was even thinking it, that I was even entertaining this thought and that I was now going to walk back into the clinic face-to-face -face with the doctor to now say, this is my decision. And the yeah. thing is, because nobody knows you there, that would be a big temptation. You could just absolutely abort. Nobody would know. Yep. But of course, you would know. I would know. God and knows. God would know. Right. Exactly. Right. But in that moment, I wasn't thinking of mm. what would the ramifications be later on. You yeah. know, at that point in time, I wasn't even thinking of the trauma of terminating the pregnancy i was literally thinking i have a career that is in front of me i'm supposed to be doing things right by god now and i'm not going to allow anything to stand in the way of that mm -hmm. you know that yeah. was the mindset yeah but yeah it sickened me on the inside that i even contemplated it yeah so you now find yourself in a phone booth yeah out in the street in the pouring rain 
to make that phone call to your boyfriend. Yeah. How did that look? Yeah. Okay. That was pretty crazy, actually, because my boyfriend was out of the house at the time and just happened to be on the double-decker bus that was driving past me as I stood in the phone box. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. And he was standing up. I remember actually seeing him. I remember the minute I said to him, babe, I'm pregnant, we actually eyeballed each other. I saw him in the bus on the phone standing up in the crowd um, and we actually eyeballed each other. It was the craziest, craziest thing. Wow. What was his reaction? He was silent for a couple of seconds, which only, I think, emphasized the trauma that I was experiencing on the inside. Because at that point, I didn't know if he was just going to say, right, you're on your own, mate, you know. (laughs) Because you've got to remember, you've been in London for four months. Four months. He hasn't been there. No. And you're not telling him you're pregnant. Right. Like, And London was my dream. Like that that was never on the cards for him. Mm. The, yeah. the plan, you know, our little plan as teenagers when we when we went our separate ways back in Africa yeah, was... Yeah, we should remind people that you're just 18 years old at this point. Yeah. So the plan was, you know, oh, Nalini will go and fulfill her dream and do what she wants to do, get it out of her system, as it were, you know, and then eventually she'll come back to me maybe a couple of years later and we'll get married and settle down in Africa and, you know, carry on with life. Like, that was the plan. Yeah. Now, four months into my move to London, my boyfriend's visiting to now hear the news that his girlfriend is pregnant. His plan was to go back to Africa and carry on with life as as normal whilst I got this career off the ground. But now how are we going to do this? Like how is this going to how are we going to navigate this? Mm. So I just remember him saying, "Okay, just meet me at the bus stop. Meet me at the bus stop, babe. Meet me at the bus stop." And so I got out of the phone box and ran in the rain to the bus stop where he had run off the bus to come and find me and we literally just stood in the rain hugging and weeping Mm, yeah yeah. we just cried and cried and cried i think it just honestly i think it was just shame guilt and Mm. shame at that point he had been raised in the catholic church you know my dad was a minister yeah what's going to happen to them how am i going to even tell them this news what about my brothers and sisters? You know, my brother and my sister who are so much younger than me, how are they going to look at me now as their older sister, you know, someone that they've admired and respected? What about my friends? What about all my church friends, my youth friends, all of mum and dad's congregation, you know, the older congregation who have loved me and nurtured me over the years and welcomed me into the house and allowed me to lead worship and be on the platform. What about because my... they didn't know what you were doing. No. You know, the other six days of the week, did they? Totally. It was totally hidden. It was all in the dark. Yeah. Yeah, so we just, we cried in the streets. And But I do remember while Sandra was holding me, he just, he just said, it's going to be okay. It's mm. going to be okay. We're going to get through this. And that for me was such a relief because I thought for the first time that night okay he's actually going to be with me through this yeah you know because for a few minutes I remember thinking he could just up sticks and leave and go Mm -hmm. back to Africa and never want to see me again yeah and then from that point you've got to make that dreadful call back to yeah the parents oh 
I mean, we're not talking just about any parents. We're talking about parents that are ministers. Ministers, leaders in the community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mum actually called that night and I couldn't take the call. I remember Sandra taking the call for me. Um, because I just couldn't speak to her. I just, mm. I was in so much turmoil on the inside, didn't know how I was going to word it. And I just needed time to get my head around it and figure out how are we going to do this? We both did. And I remember when she called, you know, just frantically giving Sandra the phone and saying, you talk to her because I just, yeah. I can't talk to her right now. And he made some excuse. She's not feeling well tonight. You know, can we just reschedule for the weekend? Why did she call? She had actually called because we were in the throes of planning a visit for me to go to India with my dad. So my dad would fly out from Africa and we would meet in Mumbai for me to meet my grandfather for the first time. So my dad's dad, who was a very well-known lyricist in Bollywood. Hmm. So he was a songwriter Hmm. and he would be out on set for months at a time you know, in the in the film industry. And so he was a phenomenal songwriter. And it was always my dad's desire for me to be able to meet him and yeah. to be able to have a conversation yeah, with him. and lean off him. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So that was the plan mm-hmm. of the phone call that night for a trip that was coming in a few months, but I was literally two months away from giving birth. Yeah. So even that now was going to be oh, wow. off the cards. You're listening to The Story. Our guest today is once again Nalini Tranquim, author of the book The Orange Hue, about her life experiences. And as we're hearing, she's sharing about the impact on her life of finding out that she was pregnant when she was just 18 years old, single and living in London. We'll find out what happens next, including the difficult phone call to her parents when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Today, Nalini Tranquim is once again sharing her life journey with Eric Scadabo and author Samantha Jekyll. Nalini has written about her experiences in her book called The Orange Hue. Before the break, Nalini shared that she was 18 years old, single and living in London when she found out she was pregnant. This obviously had a major impact on her life, including putting her dream of becoming a concert pianist in doubt. Next, it was time to make the difficult phone call to her parents back in Zambia. So it was that weekend that we I made the phone call. Um, it was Sunday morning their time, so they had just finished their service, so they were still at church. Um, Sandra and I had visited my aunt in Norfolk at the time, and she set me up with their telephone, and she said, right, you've got to make the call. And um, I remember ringing the church office and had to keep it short. Just get the facts out. This is what we decided. Just get the facts out and then give them time to think about it. And then when you guys are back in London later on this evening, you can call them again and really nut it out. So she comes to the phone and she knew something was wrong because I never called her. This is your mother. This is my mum. She Mm. knew something was not right. Mm. And I just said to her, mum, I've got to tell you something. 
I'm going to tell it to you and then I'm going to hang up and then we can talk again later just to give you time. And she was just quiet on the phone. And I just said, Sandra and I are going to have a baby and I will speak to you later. Mm. That was literally all I said. And um, she didn't respond. She was just quiet on the phone. And I hesitated because I didn't know, no, you know, what do I do? And I just said, Mum, I will call you later. I'll talk to you this evening when we're back in London. And I just hung up. Mm. Oh, my goodness. I was shaking like a leaf. Mm. Yeah. Shaking like a leaf yeah. that morning. So you, you did call back your um, your mum and your dad and you had a conversation. And, I mean, your your father's a minister and he felt the fact that you were pregnant out of wedlock, that he needed to resign right yeah. from his position as pastor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was of the mind that how can he you know, be responsible for a church if he cannot even be responsible for his own family and ensure their right decisions, you know. Um, So it put them in a very difficult position. And I'm guessing you as well. That just brings more shame on you because you now put your father in this position. Right. Of his work and his love and his call. Right. So he can now, now, right. So he can now potentially lose his job. Yeah. Lose his livelihood. So in terms of, you know, income for the family, they would then have to move out of the church house, the manse. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Which is going on and on. Right. He actually offered his resignation. He did. He had a meeting with his elders, sat down with them, told them the story. And, oh, I'm just, I'm so thankful to God for them because they refused his resignation. Yeah. They said, we love you guys as a family and... You guys have brought so much into the lives of us and into this church, and we just we refuse. We are going to stand by you at this time, which was pivotal in yeah. our restoration, actually. Yeah, yeah. And so from there, you want to make it right, though, don't yeah. you? Yeah. With God. Yeah. With your parents. So you you choose to get married. Yes, absolutely. Before the baby's born. Yes. So we only had a couple of months to prepare and my boyfriend said, no, let's get married. Let's make sure Bubs is born within wedlock. That's really important. So we contacted a local church, booked a meeting with the vicar, went and sat down and just bore our soul. We just said, Mm. this is the deal. We're not going to hide anything. I'm pregnant. We've messed up, but we want to put things right before God. So Mm. please, we want to get married within the next couple of months, if that's possible, so that, you know, Bubs is born within wedlock. And the vicar looked at us and said, look, you know, it's a very moving story. I'm really sorry, you know, that you guys have had to go through this, but I cannot marry you Mm. because it will be as if I'm condoning your actions. Yeah. As if I'm saying that what you've done is okay. And that didn't just happen oh, once, did it? No, it happened three times. So you, you went, went to th- three different yeah. churches. Three different churches, and none of them, none of them would marry us. And this is the hard part because obviously we believe that sexual relations is for a man and a wife within matrimony, within marriage. Right. So you want to have that standard, of course. But we also believe in forgiveness, <laughs> right, and grace. So how do we balance that in yeah. a way that loves you? but doesn't say that you're okay with. Absolutely. And that denial, like by the third denial, Mm. it literally felt as if it was God himself saying to me that I was too far damaged, Mm. that I was beyond repair now. There is no redemption now. So at that point, you would be tempted to say, well, forget God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I made a mistake, but... It's all too hard. It's all too hard. 
Yeah, absolutely. It devastated me that day because mm. this was not the God that I had grown up to believe in. Mm. I was raised to believe in a God who was loving and merciful and gracious and kind and forgiving. And I was not seeing that. And so leaving the church the third time round with this belief in my heart now that I was beyond repair and too damaged even for God to fix. That was it as far as I was concerned. Mm. That was it with the church. That was it with God. Yeah, couldn't do it. Yeah. I obviously don't measure up. You did eventually get married. You were able to find someone that would marry you. We did. The local registrar yeah. married us and it was a beautiful, beautiful day. And in fact, the night before our wedding, um, a childhood friend was in London at the time. She was a very close friend of my mum's and in fact was like a mum to me. Mm. And um, she visited us and she sat down on my bed and Sandra was on one side and I was on the other and she said, come on, let's pray. Beautiful. Let's pray and mm. let's just let's just bring this before God. Let's just let go of all the pain and all the mistakes from yesterday so that when you walk down that aisle tomorrow, you walk down there pure mm. and clean before God. And it was just, it was the most beautiful moment. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the most beautiful things about your story is the fact of how you reconcile God within your story. So just explain to us how you reconcile God, being pregnant, the yeah. rejection from the church, yeah. how you re reconcile your relationship with God, how you brought that back together. Yeah, look, it took a while, like it was a few years later, but um, we found ourselves on the threshold of a church, a young family, two little children, desperate for God again, like mm. desperate for him all over again. And I remember arriving at the church that morning and the worship was already on. And it felt like God wrapping me up in his love like a big furry blanket and telling me, kid, I never left you. I never rejected you. That was man, man's interpretation of me. Mm. He said, but I've been there all along, all along, all the way through that. And um, it was that day that I found myself back in touch with God all over again. Yeah. And you explain also just about... This wasn't the end of the career that you wanted. No, not at all. Just tell us, you know, what happened with your career, what's happened, and how you felt like God has blessed that or given you the green light, the go. Yeah, totally. Um, so I ended up becoming a worship leader for a church in London for a time, which was phenomenal. Um, we were with them for about six, seven years. And then the Lord opened up a door for us to move to Australia. Much of that season is also talked about in the book. Mm. Um, but it's funny because when I jumped on the plane to London, I felt like I had the green light for my career. Mm. But evidently, it wasn't a green light back then. And yet, with the pregnancy and with the church's rejection, it wasn't a red light either. It wasn't like I had heard wrong or that it was just a childhood fantasy, that it was, in fact, a desire within my heart given to me by God. It just was for an appointed time. Yeah. You know, and so hence the name, I guess, you know, the orange hue, uh, this season of struggle and pushing through and coming against the hurdles and not giving up and not surrendering and knowing that God is true to his word and that he is a faithful God. No matter what happens before man, he is a faithful God, yeah. that it was just a simple season of the orange light. You know, it's weight. The pause. The pause. There's some character refining that needs to be done, mm. you know, but I'm in this 
and he will complete that which he has started. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're quickly running out of time, but I want to know what happened to your baby. My baby is now 21 years old. Wow. A fine, <laughs> a fine young man. And um, it was a real joy because we actually launched the book in April, which is the month of his birthday. Isn't that beautiful? Um, so, yeah, mm. so it was a really, really good night celebrating the launch of the Orange Hue with him right there by Did my he side. Know yeah. Your story, his yeah. story? I shared it with him when he turned 16. And how is he doing? He as is far doing. As his faith? He is doing so so well. He's doing so well. He's seen God's hand at work, yeah, in and through the trauma, you know. And you did get married, and you just celebrated your twenty-first wedding anniversary. Hi. Congratulations! Yes, that's why you're in Venice on the second honeymoon. I know the <laughs> that's timing. Awesome. Yeah, the timing yeah. of all of this is just perfect. Well, that's beautiful. I mean, that just gives hope to those that may not find hope in their situation. Yeah. That God turns everything around for good. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Nalini, for sharing your story with us today. It's my pleasure. Also, I want to say thank you to Samantha Jaco for being with us again today. Thanks, Eric, for having me along. Keep on finding those compelling guests for us. I will. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> That's Nalini Tranquim singing, Come as you are, lay your gifts at my feet. Let me show you who you are. I'll give you everything that you need. Come as you are. And of course, that's what the Lord tells all of us. Come as you are. Even though all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, He still loves us. And He demonstrated His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that all who put their faith and trust in Him will be forgiven and have eternal life. The unconditional love of God is amazing and it makes all the difference in our lives. And as we heard, it made all the difference in Marlene's life. She had thought that her dream of having a future in music and using her gifts for God was shattered, but it actually was just put on pause for a while. And eventually, Nalini made several recordings of songs she's written, all for the glory of God. To find out more about Nalini's music and her book, her website is Tranquim. Dot com. That's NarliniTranquim.com. Well, thanks for joining us for Narlini's Story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. Yeah, I was a member of Police Rescue Squad and we arrived. We saw the bridge on top of the train. Now, it's a 300-tonne bridge and uh, it pushed the train roof down within roughly a metre or less than a metre of the floor. And so I managed to get in over the bridge on the north-eastern side and I was walking through the window spaces 
looking sideways in to see people and uh, I heard a few sounds and I thought there must be someone alive in here. Gary Raymond is a retired police inspector. These days he keeps busy as a chaplain to police and is involved in the Christian Police Fellowship of New South Wales. However, his life was almost stopped before it even got started when his mother contemplated an abortion. We'll hear Gary's story next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.